Looks like I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Okay, sometimes those emails just aren't what they used to be. All right. Okay, so if you're wondering, these three verses are from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and grounded and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, these are words that we really do want to grasp. This is a love that we don't want to live without, and I believe that there are many in this sanctuary this morning who are living in the fullness of the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that if there are still some who are trying to figure out how God could love them, and if there's a loving God to begin with, I pray, Father, that uh, this would be a day to help them understand better what it means to be encased in the love that Jesus has for us. We're glad for that, and we are glad for these few moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. So how did I get up here to preach on this second Sunday of August? I'm a retired free Methodist pastor, retired uh, last June, a year ago, June, after 36 years of preaching in three different free Methodist churches in, uh, uh, in the north. So I'm glad to be here. Now, if you're not familiar with free Methodists, let me just give you some help, because the thing that most people say probably most unchurched people say when they hear free Methodist. They get a little grin on their face and they say, oh, so you're the church that's free and you don't take offerings. <laughs> and I get a very serious look on my face and I say, actually, and their grin starts to fade. I say, that means I'm, as a free Methodist pastor, I'm free to take as many offerings as I want and they move across the room and start another conversation. <laughs> so a month ago, uh, the McCarthy's asked the Allens out for lunch, and we ate lunch in Bemis Point, and we were having a great time with Bill and Kristen, and they just off the cuff said, in early August, we're going on vacation. And uh, Brandon is gonna preach the first week, of, of August. And that's where the story differs. Sherry has a certain take on what happened next, and I have a certain take on what happened next. Want to hear my take first? Okay. So Bill kind of leans over the table and says, regarding August 11th, I've asked at least 35 people connected to United Methodism, and they're all busy, and I'm really desperate. Could you please preach? And I said, me? Uh, sure, sure, sure. Well, Sherry remembers it like this. 
uh, Bill and Christine were talking about their vacation, and they said, Brandon is preaching on the 4th. you want to preach on the 11th? And so you can decide which one of those conversations really happened. So isn't that a whole life stopper, this scripture from Ephesians? Isn't this a love story for all and each? It's my love story, it's yours, and for in a few minutes, I just want to try to help you see how this love story became mine and maybe track with you as to how this love story became yours. His love is boundless, no limitations, any kind of measurement falls short of the love of Christ. So his love is boundless. You mean like the kind of love that uh, my three-year-old niece described? So she's three years old, this little Katie Clark, and she's She's with her mommy and daddy and a lot of relatives as we're, we're getting into a bus that takes us to the parking lot where our cars were parked. When we got out of the parking lot to see uh, Billy Graham's crusade in Rochester, New York. So probably most of the proceedings went over little Katie's head. She's three years old. But on the bus ride to the parking lots, Mama, her name is Sherry also, Mama says, Katie, does Mama love you? And she says, yes. And does Daddy love you? And she says, yes. And so Mama has the idea in this crowded, full, standing room only bus to go through the whole family structure and ask Katie, Who loves you? And each time Katie says yes, and by now the bus is all in on what Katie is doing and responding so happily to each person loving. And then Mama ran out of people to talk about, and so we thought that was over, and then all of a sudden Katie lifts up her head and stretches her arms out, and she says, Everybody loves Katie! That's boundless love. Now, Katie, in her middle school years, learned that uh, earthly, wonderful love can sometimes break down. Daddy left. Mommy was left to raise her and her sister, Allie, through their teen and adult years. So we know that boundless love on earth has uh, some pretty serious breaks in it. And all of us can be uh, traumatized by those kind of breaks and breakups and breakdowns, break aparts. That's kind of my story. I was raised in Webster, New York. And by the way, Webster, New York calls itself the place where life is worth living. So if you're living anywhere else, uh, you're missing out on it. <laughs> But this much of life. So raised in Webster, Glenview Court, 30, 40, 50 houses in the late 50s, kids all over the place, dad's a car salesman, sometimes he sells three cars a week, sometimes he sells three cars in three months, it's feast or famine for the McCarthy's, dad starts spending too much time with alcohol on payday. Mom, after her fourth of five children, starts to get depressed. It turns into schizophrenia. 
She starts to hear voices. Dad drinks more. Mom's institutionalized. I'm eight or nine years old. My two older sisters and the last sister in the group. Uh, little Sherry is handed over to Uncle John and Aunt Gidi. It's a zoo. And uh, it didn't get any prettier over the years and years with mom's mental illness, whether she's here or not, and dad's drinking, whether he hugs us or smacks us on a Friday night. We never knew. So my trust level, my understanding of God as I was raised in, in a church is weaker and weaker. My faith is buried. So this boundless love on earth has really lost its taste for me. And then there is this Young Life weekend that, that somebody in my senior, or somebody in my class uh, recognized what a desperate kid I was. And so he's the heavyweight wrestler on the team and he crosses the hallway and big imposing person and he says, I've got an idea for you, Dave McCarthy. Would you like to... You like to go on a Young Life weekend, you'll have a great time. You'll meet kids from all over Rochester. Had the greatest time in your life. He did not tell me it was a religious deal because he knew that I, even though he was 250 pounds, I'd smack his head if he told me to go to some religious thing. But uh, he kept crossing the hallway, didn't he? And uh, by May of 1969, anybody here born? Uh, before 1969, a couple of us. Not many in this first service. That, that's good. So I, I said yes, because I was going to have a great time. I didn't have to stay home for three days with all the craziness. And, uh, and I meet kids from all over. And I get to know kids from Webster, the really cool kids that, that I wasn't. So I said yes. And that first night, I learned that Jesus' love is wide. It picks up anybody. You mean, you mean like Matthew in the Bible? Yes, like Matthew in the Bible. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus said, follow me. He, t he, told, and he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Uh, a treasury agent for the Roman government, and a Hebrew man. Doesn't mix at all, does it? But Matthew was chosen, and it just begins to help us understand that uh, this, this rabbi will go anywhere. His, uh, his platform stretches out anywhere. Anybody, he'll go as wide as he has to. You, you mean like, for David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, who in 1978 terrorized the five boroughs in New York City, shooting people in their cars at night and hearing dogs barking and getting information. You mean David Berkowitz, who has been in, in uh, New York State made uh, prisons for 41 years? You mean David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, who now calls himself the son of hope, because early in his, in his prisonhood, he found Jesus. Now, nobody in the culture wants to hear 
that David Berkowitz got God and saved and is going to heaven. But there was a day when David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, became the son of hope because Jesus' love is wide. It'll pick up anybody, anywhere, no matter what they are, who they are. It's alive in its wideness. So maybe that's your love story. That's partly mine. I didn't know that first night when Kent Woodworth began talking about God's plan for our lives and he's pointing to us people in the crowd. He's saying, God has a plan for you. He loves you. And I'm thinking, what? He loves me? His love somehow picks me up? And this is new language for me, and so I'm not quite buying it yet. But Woody will have three more talks that young weekend. But I just want you to see, maybe, is this your love story? You, you had no concept that the love of Christ could reach you that far away from where you thought you should be? And maybe you don't have that kind of love story yet, but you're thinking, all right, if Berkowitz can get in, maybe. I'm certainly not as bad as Berkowitz. I'm the son of my parents. I'm not the son of some dog screeching in the wind. So maybe. Tell me more, Dave. Okay, I will. All right. So Paul tells us that his love is long. This is from Luke 15. The father of the prodigal son is described here. So he, the father, got up and went to, and went, this is the prodigal son, excuse me. So the prodigal son gets up and goes to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for his son. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I think there's a couple of reasons why the prodigal son's father was on his front porch on a daily basis. Because I think he really believed that one day his son would come back. And he also knew that there was a death warrant on his life if he ever came back. For those of you who study the Old Testament, if there's a rebellious, recklessly sinning son, the parents had every right to take that bouncing, reckless adult kid to the elders, and the elders would have a stoning party on this kid. And so, all but prodigal fun's daddy, evidently, had said, he's dead to me. He's dead to you, and if he ever comes back, He's dead physically. We will kill him for what he did to shame you and your name and your heritage. So I think the father was looking out of compassion. He was looking out of concern for when the son would ever walk back. And and it's a good thing for the son that a Pharisee didn't come upon him, but his father did. Because the father will wait as long as it takes for someone to call out, Yahweh, please save me. Son of God, please pour your mercy out on me. So his love is long. You mean like for 
a man named Frank, whose best friend was Reverend Ray McGinnis. Perhaps you know Ray. Long, long, long time free Methodist pastor in this area. And Ray and Frank go back a long way. Ray married Frank and Pat uh, years before. Good friends. Frank got sick. And he was getting sicker and sicker. And Ray kept in touch. But the word came to Ray that uh, this could be the last for Frank. And so he went and visited Frank. And he asked the question that maybe you've heard or maybe you've asked sometime in your life. He asked the question, Frank, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Well, and both he and Pat were nodding like, well, I, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I, I think I've been good enough. And, and Ray didn't argue with that. He said, Frank, you have lived with a moral constraint. I'd never heard that before when Ray told that story. A moral constraint all your life. And Pat's not in Ray. He's a good man. He's going to go to heaven. But Ray, this tall, thin, West Virginian, pointed his finger and said, you lack one thing. Well, what's that? Frank and Pat wondered out loud. He said, you lack salvation through Jesus Christ. And he took Frank to the cross and he took him to the empty tomb and he, and he just said, if you want eternal life, you've got to admit that you need a Savior. And Pat's still shaking her head. He's a good man. But Frank's starting to think a little bit about what this would take. And you know what happened? Frank gave his life over to Jesus Christ that day. And 22 hours later, Frank went to heaven. Pretty close call. But God's not afraid of a close call. For God will wait as long as the prodigal father did. Jesus and the Holy Spirit will wait as long. There's nobody who is not savable until their last breath or their last brainwave. Then it's over. But up until that point, the love of God is long. It will wait. The Saul of Tarsus later named Paul, would describe his testimony this way. He would say, I was shown mercy, the chief sinner that I am, so that God could use me as a prime example of what the unlimited patience of Jesus Christ. That's my love story. On the second message that Kent Woodworth preached on that Young Life weekend. He brought up these four adult Young Life leaders and they all role-played cool kids in the high school. The best athlete, the most beautiful girl, the brightest student, and, and, the, and the most vibrant cheerleader. And they're all kind of playing their part, but then at some point they all put on masks. And I thought, cool people don't wear masks. They're just so good and so great. But all of them, through their masks, are talking about what they're ashamed of and how lost they feel. And what he just simply, he wasn't ready to preach the gospel cross aspect, but he was ready to say, 
Everyone is hidden from God. Everyone has put a mask on before God. What are you hiding from God today? I'm thinking, this is a little too close for my comfort. I'm hiding a lot of things. Even though on the day after I was saved and I told my mother, Mom, Jesus forgave my sins. And my mom looked at me and said, Dave, you never sin. I thought, I've reached sinless perfection. (laughs) Even Wesley talked about that in a different way than I was saved. So no, I wasn't sinless and perfect. But I, I wasn't quite ready to buy into this, but I, something was happening with this love and long, patient thing. His love is high. First Peter says he bore in his body our sins on the tree so that we might die to sin and live righteously. No human person here quite right now, but I'm going to do something very rude. I'm going to turn my back on the congregation and look at the same thing that you can see. Did you let me do that? It's a cross, a wooden cross. It's a nice cross. It's big. You know, some churches that are even evangelical don't put crosses up on their wall. You know why? Because they believe that the seekers come into a building like this, a wonderful sanctuary like this, and they see a cross and they, and they get offended by the barbaric weapon that it was, a weapon of destruction. They think, okay, so we'll keep the cross off the stage. But the irony is that at some point in these large, mega, evangelical churches, they believe that people need to be saved. At the at the point where the seeker is ready to become a Christian, you know what they have to bring out? They have to bring out the cross. They say, now, uh, you've been listening to us for about a year, and we're ready to tell you that Jesus died on the cross. Well, what's a cross? And they go, oh, wait a second. We don't have one, but we believe in one. Isn't it better that the cross represent itself Wherever we are, in worship, in Sunday school, on on the beach, isn't it better that the cross represent itself? Because it's high. It's higher. It represents a Christ on the cross that will, will take away all our sins. It's high. Because you and I are not living a bloodless religion. There are churches who will take all the references of blood out of their hymnals. The pastors in their manuscripts or notebooks won't ever use lamb, won't ever use savior because they think it's offensive. And you know what? It is offensive because Jesus is the scandal on the stumbling stone over which we'll either fall over and be broken or The rock will fall upon us and we'll be crushed. Which one do we choose when we have a chance to come to the cross? Then there's blood applied to our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and we're saved. This is a religion of the blood of the Lamb who died on the cross. And for you and I, 
who bear sins in our body, once we come to Jesus, he takes those sins away and we're saved. So on the Young Life weekend, now it's time for for Woody to talk about the cross. Young Life always does the third talk on the cross talk. So he's talking about the cross, and I I think I'm on level ground with him because I grew up with a cross with the occupied, suffering and dying figure of Jesus on it. I knew about the cross. And they, they keep him on the cross to remind us of his suffering and his death. But most churches show uh, not an unused cross, but an unoccupied cross. Why is that? Because he was taken from the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and he was raised up. But we, we look at the cross, and we remember that it was once occupied with the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might live in righteousness. And that's what happens. And when Woody in his fifth and his third talk said, if you were the only person left on earth, Christ would have died for you. I said, you got me. I started to cry. You know, I'm almost 18 years old and I'm totally embarrassed and I'm crying. I probably, I'm thinking that everyone in the place can hear me cry because I'm probably snorting and trying to catch my breath and it's messy. But my salvation moment was a little messy. But it was marvelous. And so Woody said, okay, I'm done here. Go on out under the stars of Stony Brook Park. And if you're ready, invite Jesus in your life. And that's where I met the high love of Christ. That's where I grasped it. Is that your love story? Is that your love story? It was the cross the preaching of the cross, the illustration of the cross that, that got you there. I hope someday it's Bill Maher's story. Bill is that HBO comedian and uh, talk show, and he has no reverence for anything conservative or more than that, moral. And one day he's quoted as saying, I don't get this. Christianity thing where they, they, they get cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Well, Bill says, I can clean myself up and I'm going to. Bill, you can't. There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So it's high and, and the heavens wait for Bill and For me, for you to come to the cross, come to Jesus. No longer on the cross, no longer in the tomb. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. And he'll come into our lives. That's what he did last night, that time. And even though I wasn't a gymnast, I think I was doing somersaults down the path to get to the guy that walked across the hallway to ask me to come on this Young Life weekend. Chuck Cuminelli. I can't believe he did that for me. 
but more so, I couldn't believe that his love was so high, as high as the cross. So every time you see the cross, just lay hold of how high his love is for us. And his love is deep. At a dinner party for, from Simon the Pharisee, a woman crashed the party and started weeping and pouring perfume over Jesus and, and wiping his feet with her tears. And Simon, in his pharisaical way, said, if he only knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be standing for this. He'd curse her and I'd expel her from this room. Then Jesus started talking to Simon about what she had done for him. And here's part of what he said. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Sin a lot, get forgiven a lot. Now, here's the problem with quoting that scripture. This is what might happen. Uh, a guy who has a wife and a son comes to church here this morning and the husband has to work and so he uh, later on catches up with his wife and his son and, and, uh, and dad says, so some new guy came and preached today, what do you talk about? And the 11-year-old son says, dad, right near the end of his sermon, he said, sin a lot because that's when you get forgiven a lot. Isn't that a great plan? The dad's immediately texting Bill Allen saying, who was on your pulpit today? Are you crazy? He just gave an open credit card for my son to sin all he wants because he'll be forgiven all he wants. That's not what I'm saying. All you 11-year-olds, stay with me here. A lot is based on this. If I ever walk back into this church, not even up here, because... He was talking to Simon about the need to be forgiven much. And Simon was like a lot of people and said, sure, I could put my sins up on a computer screen, but they're minimized compared to everybody else's sin. I'm not perfect, the person starts out their conversation. Well, okay, we got over that. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, and that's where Simon the Pharisee was. I don't really have anything to confess to you, Jesus, or to God. I'm a Pharisee. I'm, I'm a goody-goody. Jesus knew that it wasn't the quantity, but it was the quality, and all sin. Every sin separates us and drives us deep into a bad pit, and the love and the grace of Jesus is deeper than any sin we could ever commit. But it just so happens that the lady wanted every si single one of her sins forgiven. She held back nothing, and she gave everything of herself to Jesus as she wept at his feet. So on this fourth talk where what he talked about now you're going to follow Jesus. Now he's going to be the one and all. You're not always going to be right, and you're not always going to do the right, but, but just remember, his grace is deeper than any sin you ever commit. So ask for forgiveness. Seek repentantly. 
Keep small accounts with God. Get right with him every corner you turn because the love of God is so deep, so grace. Because God is just and he forgives us of our sins. And have you ever thought about this? Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Because when I sin, it's not just the act. It's the thinking I put into it. It's the feeling I put into it. It's the will that I kind of doused all over it. And when I'm forgiven, God's not done with that. He also cleans up my thinking, my willfulness, if I let him. It's a forgiving moment when he goes deep into our lives and he wants to stay at work in us all the days of our lives because the love of Christ is wide, it's long, it's high, it's deep. And there'll be love songs that you'll listen to. I think my favorite one is uh, Michael McDonald happens to sing it, but he's singing Motown songs. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough. I, I'm not going to sing this. The microphones would explode. I did that. But that kind of earthly, persistent, I'd do anything for you, the song says. I'd go anywhere. If you need me, you call me. And that's, that's, that's the dialogue of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'll meet you anywhere with the deepest love that will pick you up from anything that you've fallen into. I promise that because my son's love for you is so wide, so long, so high, so deep. Is that your love story? It's mine. And a lot of people have played a part in that, and I know the same as yours. A lot of people have played a part in where you are this very moment. If you're still kind of processing this deal, all I can do for you is say, it is so real, his love for us. It uh, saved a sin-sick soul that I had. I was a religious pagan, and he saved me because he loved me. And he saved you because the love of Christ is that boundless. And he'll save the next one up because his love is boundless. Will you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going the distance for us, for your three years of ministry, your week-long preparation before your suffering and your death, and your 40 days of meeting with the disciples as resurrected Savior and Lord, and then visiting us with your Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and then all the days of this earth You've been, uh, you've been going wide, long, high, and deep for anyone who would call out on you. Your love never stops. And we're leaving here today 
Acknowledging that, receiving that, rejoicing in that, pondering it, wondering, kind of shaking our head, not quite so sure, but your love beginning, middle, end will not stop. And we pray, Father, that all hearts here will all stay open and we'll all gladly leave here wanting to magnify your holy name. You are good. And we are good as a result of you living in our lives. So please receive the benediction. May the 